0: the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. For some of you, today's guests will be familiar. Ann Moss Rogers was on Grief Out Loud a little over two years ago, in October of 2019. In that conversation, which was episode 126, Ann Moss and I talked about her son Charles, who died of suicide in 2015 when he was a young adult. In her before life, Anne Moss worked in digital marketing. But after her son's death, she found herself moving into the world of suicide prevention, if only to better understand what had happened in her own family. Two years later, she's published a new book, Emotionally Naked, A Teacher's Guide to Preventing Suicide and Recognizing Students at Risk, co-authored by Kim O'Brien. In this book, Anne Moss and Kim outline specific steps teachers and administrators can take to identify when students are at risk. They also provide information on what schools can and should do to provide effective postvention to support students and the school community when someone dies of suicide. So while this episode is pretty focused on the education community, because it's Grief Out Loud, we also explore the personal, discussing how this work has affected Anne Moss' own grief, and also what she would most like to talk to Charles about in light of what she's learned in this work. As you might have guessed, we talked directly about suicide in this episode. So if you or anyone you know is struggling, please reach out for help. You can text HOME to 741-741 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Okay, here's my conversation with Anne Moss. Ann Moss, thank you so much for coming back on Grief Out Loud to talk with me again.
1: Oh, thank you so much for, for having me again, Jen. I really appreciate it.
0: And I know you're back because we're going to be talking quite a bit about your latest book, Emotionally Naked, A Teacher's Guide to Preventing Suicide and Recognizing Students at Risk. But it's always helpful to kind of start with the background. And for listeners who maybe didn't catch your first episode on Grief Out Loud or just aren't familiar with your story what brings you to this work? Like what makes you so passionate about suicide prevention and postvention work? Well,
1: it comes from it, from a background that isn't filled with mental health and, and all that sort of stuff. So I was part of a nonprofit for youth mental health. And so I was very passionate about that topic, but I owned a digital marketing firm, but in 2015, I lost my younger son, Charles, to suicide shortly after his 20th birthday. He suffered from depression and addiction, but he was also the funniest, most popular kid in school and really the last kid you would ever think would, would die by suicide. He was charming and fun, but he was also stubborn and <laughs> obstinate and he was a creative genius and he saw things in a completely different way. And I have to say that Charles is one of those people who took up a lot of space in people's lives, including mine. I mean, he was always just kind of bigger than life. So his death just left this crater of a hole where, you know, I missed those hugs and that quirkiness. So he does by suicide and the memorial service was beautiful and people were very supportive, but I would also run into people who wouldn't allow me to talk about my son and didn't wanna talk about drugs or suicide. So I wrote an article in the newspaper about my family's story and that ended up going viral and creating this audience for my newly minted blog called Emotionally Naked. And, you know, I may have had 100 people a day reading it at that point. But after the article went viral, all of a sudden people were asking to subscribe. And I was kind of surprised by that. And what I found out is other people were struggling with similar stories and similar losses. And they, like me, didn't know what this grief journey looked like. I guess I've really just kind of made the decision to be a spokesperson on suicide because nobody was talking about it. And I felt like someone really needed to, someone that wasn't just a researcher, but somebody with with some lived experience of this grief process. I guess to focus on it, I really needed to do that in order to understand it so that I could understand the whys behind my own son's death by suicide.
0: And I know that the, the why question and the answers to that why question are always evolving and sometimes out of reach. And I, I wonder, is there an example of, of a why question that maybe you did find an answer to that was helpful for you?
1: Uh, so my son left a lot of lyrics, song lyrics, which I included in my first book. And as I wrote that first book, which is Diary of a Broken Mind, I started to kind of have some revelations that I I didn't really, you know, recognize at, at first. And I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, Charles talked about suicide, he talked about drugs, and... I thought he didn't need to do that, that it would give somebody the idea. What I recognize is that's not the case. When we're silent, we sort of snuff out the opportunity for somebody who's struggling to share how they might be feeling. You know, I just I really needed to kind of understand things from his point of view and step in his shoes. And by reading through all of his music, I was I was able to do that and tell my family story from my point of view and from his.
0: To really explore like the landscape of his mind at that time. Right.
1: Because a lot of what he wrote about, those whys were universal. He felt worthless. He felt like his life didn't matter. And as because he had substance use disorder, he felt like one of society's throwaways I knew from the kids he had met that they felt the same way because they would take his notebooks that he would write his songs in. I mean, which to me at the time was kind of a violation. But what what I recognized later is that was really how they were trying to capture their own survival by taking those words because they so expressed how they felt and they weren't able to put it into words and he was. And that really filled in a lot of blanks for me. And I recognized how far out of my control his feeling that way was. There's nothing I could have said or done really to make him feel better or to fix all this for him. He, He had to have wanted to do that for himself.
0: And so your first book, you know, Diary of a Broken Mind, is really a more personal exploration of Charles's life and, and what he was struggling with and your sort of struggles to understand what that all meant. And now your new book, you know, Emotionally Naked, A Teacher's Guide to Preventing Suicide and Recognizing Students at Risk, that's really an outward facing, almost like a how-to manual for administrators and teachers and others involved in school communities and and you co-authored it with Kimberly Mm -hmm. O'Brien and I'm just like could you briefly tell us like how did that book come to be?
1: It was really kind of out of the blue and I get a call from somebody at Wiley Publishing which is a really big publisher and so they said would you be interested in writing a book for teachers on suicide prevention and I just said, yes, immediately. I'd definitely be interested. And we had a conversation and she explained, you know, what might be the next step if we were going to do something like this. And, and then I got off the phone and I mean, I was like, panicked. <laughs> I thought, why me? You know, um, and then I thought, no, OK, allow that feeling, allow that imposter syndrome to sit with you for a minute. And then I pushed back and I said, you know what, why not me? Uh, You know, when I dive into a subject, I'm very obsessive. And I knew that we would need, I would need other resources for this book. It wasn't going to be just Ann Moss Rogers writing this book. So while I had a co-writer in the process, we also interviewed all these teachers and suicidologists and nonprofit leaders. And a lot of experts in the field to kind of build on that. And teachers who had been through the suicide death of a student. So the main thing was that I finished the um, proposal and they accepted it. And both sides agreed, or I said in the proposal, I need a co-writer for this. And I need somebody, you know, who's a licensed clinical (laughs) social worker. And I had somebody in mind when I said that. And they agreed, they thought, you know, I needed that as well. I didn't want to tackle this subject by myself, in other words. And I had had a conversation with Kimberly and I knew she had done a study with those kids with lived experience and how they felt about it. And they had shared their beautiful voices with her. And then I had my online data and uh, comments from kids. I mean, I have tons of examples too, but I thought we needed both sides of a coin there, so to speak. And we needed those voices and I needed Kimberly's guidance on this as well. She's just so grounded. So we really, just kind of move forward, we agreed, we needed to kind of interview people and we interviewed about 40 people. And we included those stories and their examples and uh, made scripts so that people had some really tangible, okay, well, what do I say literally? And I would put in a sample script of, okay, it could go something like this, knowing that every situation angle be like that. People needed to understand how what we were saying translated into actual words. So it took us about a year to write it, but the deadlines were, wow, uh, you know, they were tough. And if it hadn't have been for a pandemic in the, you know, happening at the time, I am not sure if I would have been able to write this book because it took every single minute of my time for a year.
0: Yeah, well, it really shows it's such a detailed exploration and not even I mean, it's a little bit of an exploration, but it really is more of that, like, practical how to these are things schools need to be considering. These are the ways they can put these practices into place. These are the, the words you can use. And it's so helpful, you know, especially in the moment of emotional overwhelm and crisis, people just like, I just need to know what to say. And so it's such a helpful book in that way. And you know, I think many people are familiar with the word and the term and the idea of prevention, whether it's preventing suicide or preventing anything else. But postvention is as one of those words that on first hearing you're like, what does that actually mean? So I wondered, could you define that for our listeners when when you talk about postvention in the context of someone dying of suicide?
1: Sure. So in the book, we cover prevention, intervention, and postvention. And postvention is the term that describes an intervention following a death by suicide on a school campus for the purposes of this book. And in general, that's what we call it in the suicide prevention realm. So an effective response would include communication, connection, healthy grieving, you know, commemoration, stabilization of the situation, uh, coping skills and resilience development and advocacy. And I think that one thing we need to recognize is schools have something few other environments have, and that's an opportunity for genuine human connection, which has gotten lost in the digital age. And this is the most valuable currency in the education system. So I think it's important that we leverage these relationships that teachers have with students for the emotional benefit of students and start to inspire the healing process because we know that good postvention is good prevention.
0: Yeah, say more about that. Like why is good postvention prevention?
1: So what we see administrators do, and, and I'm gonna, it, it, this is kind of maybe a longer explanation. It, they're really in the hard and fast answer to that. So what we see is that administrators kind of have this knee jerk reaction and they'll like say, okay, we're closing school the next day. So what what's wrong with that? So canceling school, triggers, can trigger contagion and what we call cohort death. And cohort death is you may, kids who are in that same grade, you know, who may die years later as a result of being exposed to a suicide. So closing schools or college after a suicide incident, isolate your other at-risk students so, while a lot of students may be sitting around wondering why, there are a few students that know exactly why and are struggling to live. Connection is an antidote for suicide, giving students a feeling of belonging, which is a known what we call protective factor for preventing further loss of why. The more connected a student is, the more the risk of suicide decreases. I mean, it's of course not hundred percent. So during a postvention, we need all hands on deck to be there for each other, to ask students and teachers to observe who else might be struggling. And that allows students to put their grief into action, to help others, to listen. What are other students staying on social media? We need a lot of people monitoring the mood of their friends because those struggling want to tell and stigma is preventing them from doing so. And they are putting out invitations and we need to recognize those invitations. So this is the time to allow kids to put their grief into action by helping others, but to listen to others and meet them where they are. We need to be asking students to be there for their friends and report any kids who they think are talking about suicide and we need them to go tell a trusted adult. And we need to be talking about grief, all the feelings like anger and sadness and confusion and lack of concentration, talking about the why question, the feeling guilty and so on we need them to see that these feelings are normal and accept it the next thing a lot of administrators do is they're they're motivated to get all it all over quickly so they'll kind of glaze over this cumbersome grief step maybe providing counseling for a day or two to sort of check that box. But overall, they want to skip forward, go silent about suicide and get back to normal really fast. And when they do that, students and teachers are left with no real way to process their grief. It's telling them that they need to push it aside, which leads to more self-harm and substance misuse and further suicide. it it should instead be a time when the school community comes together and connects. We're not meant to grieve alone. And I always say, don't, don't waste a good crisis. And I think another opportunity we have here is to help students know what the crisis resources are. So I think every class should have like a crisis text line poster. Eight and a half by 11, you can print it off from their website, put it on your wall, and just to let everybody know, there's a crisis text line and leave it there. It just says, This is a helpful resource. Maybe this is the opportunity to go over what the protocol is on a college campus or at a school. What happens when you're feeling this way? What should your next step be? What do you do when a friend is feeling suicidal? What should you do? Because we want to encourage students. They can't keep this a secret. This is life and death. And then kids are always wondering, well, you know, uh, if I tell somebody, this person will be mad. And that's true. They can be mad. But I'd rather have a friend mad at me than dead. And when I say that to kids, they get it immediately. So recently we had a young man who um, was thinking of suicide and he told somebody and he made his uh, friend who was a female promise to keep it a secret. She was really worried. So she, did, she not only did not keep it a secret, she called 911 and gave um, the police his address. So the mom goes to the door and there are the police and the police like, want to talk to your son, he's not in trouble. And she's just like, "Uh, okay. So she goes and gets him. He walks outside and talks with him. And then, you know, they bring the mom in. And he admits that he had been struggling with thoughts of suicide. And yeah, he was angry and he was hospitalized, but that girl saved his life. And he won't be mad forever. So I encouraged the mom, I said, please call her and reinforce that he's alive. And yeah, admit that he's angry right now, but we'd rather have him angry and alive than dead.
0: So as you're talking through, you know, sort of so many reasons why postvention is part of prevention, it seems like engagement and education are two big components of that, of engaging with the school community, engaging with students individually and in small group settings, and then as well as educating people about grief and about prevention resources and ways to intervene if if there's friends or other people in their life that they're concerned about. And, and I wonder about you know the story that you just shared of the student who's concerned about her friend, so she calls the police, and I wonder, are there other resources, because I just think about the idea that and sometimes that can be our first go-to. It's like we call 911, you know, especially if someone's in imminent, imminent danger. But then I think about the ways that interacting with police can go in a not great way, especially for those who are, you know, from racially minor- minority communities or LGBTQ teens, other folks maybe who it can create maybe more harm then uh, help in that way. And so I just wonder, are there a few other resources or ways that if someone's listening and they're like, I'm really concerned about my friend, like who else could they turn to?
1: Lots of times I tell them to call that parent if they know that parent, you know, or if they want to call their, tell their own parent and have that parent call the other parent. If they are, now this child was at home telling a school counselor and then letting the school counselor make uh, the next step of what she thinks should happen in, in this regard. Um, but you're right. At what, what I found out later is this child was in imminent danger, like right then. Mm. So she was really afraid that the police wouldn't get there in time. So it was a desperate move for a desperate time.
0: Yeah. Oh, thinking about just like the the panic of that. Student, you know, that child who's so afraid for her friend and knowing that he's in imminent danger. And, you know, going back to kind of the, the premise of the book of really supporting bigger school communities and systems in responding when a student or a teacher has died of suicide and coming into that postvention world. And one of the trickiest situations uh, over and over and over again is if a school is on board with education and engagement and sharing the truth with students and having really open conversations about suicide prevention and suicidal thoughts and like what to do if we're concerned about someone. But then you may have a situation where a family, for personal reasons, does not want the school to share that their child died of suicide. And so how, how do schools navigate that? I get that question all the time.
1: Really? Uh, so there's a really good postvention guide put out by the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. It is the second edition and it is uh, Suicide Prevention in Schools, uh, the toolkit, Suicide Prevention Toolkit for schools, second edition. And it will outline Uh, a lot, a lot of this, but it doesn't specifically outline that question of, it gives you an email that you can send out, like a script email. So I interviewed Jim McCauley from Riverside Trauma, and I asked him, you know, well, what do the teachers say uh, when when the students are like, you're not being forthcoming, you all are hiding, So the family said, no, I don't want to share it. But of course, they all know because of social media and, you know, gossip and texting, you know, they know well before the coroner has (laughs) actually declared it. So what we coach teachers to say is something like, so the parents are not saying how their son died, but you know what you have heard and what you think. And how does that change your reaction if you think he died by suicide? So you can still have that conversation and they recommend that you don't like put anything in writing, but it, since they're talking about suicide, you can say, since everyone is talking about suicide, let's have a conversation of what that means to people or what do you think the whys are? And we always say that if you're gonna have a cause a conversation in a classroom to keep it to five to 10 minutes. You can have a longer discussion about grief, but you really don't want to kind of take up the whole classroom, you know, just focusing on suicide, but also giving students the opportunity to share how they feel.
0: You know, one thing that's coming to mind and Moss as we're talking is that, you know, reading your book and doing having lots of conversations about suicide postvention or suicide prevention that the word in a way for me starts to sort of lose its emotional meaning it just becomes something that we're like problem solving how do we do this how do how do we send the email to families how do we inform students in class how do we support teachers after the school day has end you know it just becomes this very like logical cognitive experience. And, you know, so many people who are passionate about this work are in this field because of personal experience. And I wonder what it's been like for you to do this work, and carry the death of your son, Charles with you. And how do you? Yeah, how do you manage or navigate your own grief in in supporting others and doing this work? That's taken
1: kind of a long time to really kind of figure out. And it's probably why I didn't dive in right from the beginning. I needed to give myself an opportunity to heal because each death by suicide does feel so personal because I know how much it hurts. I know the amount of work it's taken to learn to live with the grief and how long it took me to figure out how to put my own grief into action to find my own emotional healing. And that journey is so different for each individual. So it does trigger pain, but it also triggers something else, passion and healing and perseverance. So sometimes my anger and my pain is my inspiration to figure out a better way to do things, how to problem solve, how to partner with other organizations. That has really been a big part of my own healing because as you know, talking about grief, giving back really helps with with that healing process. And I'm an obsessive person by nature. So, That's what I do. And I don't know that everybody, you know, I know that going so public isn't for everyone. And what I love about this is I've met so many other beautiful people who've lost a child to suicide or a brother or a mother. You know, you just feel connected in a way to that human being. I mean, I've just really met the most wonderful human beings and I'm sorry it had to happen the way it did, but I can't change that. And I really do appreciate those experiences and those new relationships. My capacity for love has actually grown. You know, that, that's the gift my son left for me.
0: It takes me back to what you were saying earlier about how the things that schools need to be thinking about when a community member dies of suicide is community connection, engagement, stabilization. And it's almost as if your personal experience is a little bit of a microcosm in that macrocosm of creating community connections with others, engaging, putting your grief into action. So it just struck me there's such a parallel there.
1: Oh, my gosh, it's so well said. I mean, you just put it all concise in a nice little box. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to quote you on that. But that's exactly it. You totally nailed it.
0: So before we come to the end of our conversation, there's a little just like side note. but It's not a side note at all. It's another big topic. But I, you know, so much of the focus when a school administrator calls me and they're like, you know, a student has just died. We've learned it's a, a suicide death. What do we do? of i talked them through the things that you mentioned about, like, how do you get the news out? How do you facilitate these small group conversations? How do we make sure that um, prevention information is available for everyone? And then there's always this little, like, oh, and what about teachers? What do we do to support them? And I wondered if you had just maybe a, a few suggestions for what can schools be thinking about in terms of their teachers are just as much of a part of this as the students?
1: You know, I've, I talked and interviewed a lot of we or we. Uh, talked and interviewed a lot of teachers for this book, and most of them, except for one, had been through the suicide of a student and they started with that story and so what I did is I just listened because i've never stood in front of a class after a suicide death and had to face a class of students and I, I sort of allowed myself to be standing in their shoes as they told me their stories. And then I, it was only then that I started to get kind of an understanding of there's this class of needy souls who need to hear from you. So I always encourage teachers who ask me this question and they're like, well, I'm really nervous about talking about this subject and this makes me feel sad and I I can't concentrate. And I said, why don't you start with those words? Why don't you tell them you're nervous about talking about this subject, but you think it's important. Tell them that how you feel and how it's, you know, you haven't been able to concentrate, you've been struggling to sleep, and you're worried about other students, go ahead and say that. You know, start with personally how you feel, because that's going to encourage your your students to also share with you how they feel. I feel like the administrators need to give teachers some autonomy as well, because a number of teachers told me that sort of counselors were forced, you know, forced on them, you know, uh, they were going to come in and make the announcement. And I think for some teachers who are uncomfortable, that might make sense. But a number of teachers felt like, I need, these are my students, we have the relationship." if the counselors could wait in the hallway and let me talk to my students first and then have the counselors come in later. So not every teacher is gonna do it the exact same way and to allow for a little autonomy there and the empty death syndrome. I mean, the the guide, um, post finishing guide does say what you can do, but a number of teachers told me how they dealt with the empty death syndrome, and they encouraged their class to participate in that decision making. And they made a decision as a class of what they were gonna do and how they were gonna handle it. I think that it's important to talk about it in the staff meetings and give teachers time to process and share their resources for grief, but really not forcing them to do more assessments, but to kind of pull back off that and, and allow some time for thinking about, well, maybe we should incorporate more mindfulness. Maybe we should incorporate more opportunities for coping skills. So if administrators would kind of maybe listen more and respond to needs at that point, because the teachers are the ones in front of the students. And of course we could have a teacher at risk too and make sure that they know the signs of, of suicide and uh, make sure that they have the talking points they need to have to be in front of students, make sure that they know, you know, the community resources for them and that those would be available for them as well. So definitely some compassion around the teachers themselves. I mean, I had a whole chapter dedicated to the empty death syndrome and how difficult that was. It came up in every single conversation I had. And one of the things I felt like was important was empowering teachers to have those conversations of, so you know, got examples of kind of scripts and games and, you know you want to do this for the just giving a little little mini curriculum of how we discuss this subject with the subject of grief in a classroom
0: yeah just having almost like a menu of of choices of how teachers can engage with this with students because i think about all of the principles of of our work at Dougie Center being trying to be as grief informed as possible and that the element of choice is so important because you mentioned autonomy and recognition that grief is different for everyone it's going to show up different so what teachers might need um, it, it doesn't work to have just like a universal policy of the counselor comes in and informs the students because there may be a teacher who really needs that and wants that and there may be a teacher who's like no I I want to be the person to deliver this news and so you know, encouraging school administrators to keep that in mind that, you know, grief's different for everyone. And it's really important to have some element of choice and to be able to have structure and routine, but also flexibility within that. So I appreciate how that, that comes through in the book for, for administrators, but also for how do we support our teachers and supporting students. So Anne Moss, as we come kind of to the end of our time together today, I'm wondering, is there one thing that you wish you could talk to your son Charles about related to this work that you're doing now
1: i wish i had listened more and lectured less you know i've i didn't give him as much autonomy as i probably should have i i wish i had listened and and internalized more of what he was saying at times And what I recognize is that I really kind of learned more about my son after he died than I knew him in life. And we were really close. So that was difficult. You know, you can't know what goes on in someone's head. I wish I could tell him if I could go back and say anything. As much as I want you to get well, I love you even if you don't my son needed to know that my love was completely unconditional that no matter what he did (laughs) and if he stayed you know uh, addicted to heroin his whole life it would have been anguish but i would have loved him no
0: matter what and i do wish i could tell him that now Mm. yeah that you mentioned earlier that in reading through his song lyrics, getting the sense that he felt like because of his substance use, he was a bit of a throwaway in our society and and really wishing you could let him know in a really deep way that he was not a throwaway to you, regardless of what his behavior was. And
1: I didn't know that. I know that now. And I I can look back and understand that, you know, hindsight's 2020. So I've forgiven myself, but it does give me the opportunity to share that with others who might, you know, be in a similar situation.
0: Well, Anne Moss, I'm grateful for, you know, the work that you're doing in the world. And for the time today of talking with me going a little bit, you know, behind the scenes with your with your new book, The Teacher's Guide to Preventing Suicide and Recognizing Students at Risk. And listeners, I'm going to put lots of links in the show notes to resources that Ann Moss mentioned, as well as the book. Uh, are there other places, Anne Moss, that listeners should go to connect with you in your the work that you're doing?
1: Uh, emotionally Naked is my blog, EmotionallyNaked.com, and com is my speaker and training site. So I do a lot of um, professional development with teachers on spotting students at risk and having those conversations. And we practice, you know, what do you, what do you say if they say this? And then having that discussion with parents. Teachers are not always doing that step. But uh, when they request it or when they are the people that, that has to do that step, then we go through that. So it just depends uh, on the school and the situation.
0: So it sounds like lots of opportunities for training and connection and engagement with you. So, Ann Moss, thank you again for your time today. I really uh, enjoyed and and learned a lot from our conversation.
1: Same here, Janet. I appreciate it.
0: And listeners out there, I say it each and every single time, but thank you so much for being part of our community, for tuning into the show, for sharing episodes with family and friends that you think might be supported by the material that we're talking about. I have a a new request. If you are a listener from outside of the United States, I would love to hear from you. So if you're tuning in from a different country, please send me a quick email. My email is griefoutloud at Dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y. .org So thanks again for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time.